Well, turning back to Exodus chapter 32, continuing in the chapter, starting at verse 21. Then Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, Do not let the anger of my Lord burn. You know the people yourself, and they are prone to evil. For they said to me, Make a God for us who will go before us. For this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And I said to them, Whoever has any gold, let them tear it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and it came out this calf. Now when Moses saw the people were out of control, for Aaron had let them go out of control to be a derision among their enemies. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come with me. And all the sons of Levi gathered together to him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Every man of you put his sword upon his thigh and go back and forth from the gate to the gate of the camp and kill every man his brother and every man his friend and then every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did as Moses instructed. And about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Then Moses said, dedicate yourselves today to the Lord for every man has been against his son and against his brother in order that he may bestow a blessing upon you today. And it came about on the next day that Moses said to the people, you yourselves have committed a great sin. And now I am going up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has committed a great sin, and they have made a God of gold for themselves. But now if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, please blot me out from the book which thou hast written. And the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. But go now. And lead the people where I told you. Behold, my angels shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I punish, I will punish them for their sin. Then the Lord smote the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron had made. In Genesis 6, Genesis 6, we see a reset of the earth, of the world. Genesis 6, verse 5. Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals, to creepy things and the birds of the sky. For I am sorry that I made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man and blameless in his time. Noah walked with God and Noah became the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of the Lord, or in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked on the earth and behold, it was corrupt. All flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Turn to Psalm 1. Psalm 1, verse 4. The wicked are not so. They are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Turn with me to Romans. Romans chapter 9. 
beginning at verse 14. What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up, to demonstrate my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then, he has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Or does not the potter have the right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And he did so in order that he might make known the riches of his glory upon the vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. Turn with me to Luke 13. Beginning at verse 6. And he began telling this parable. A certain man had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard and he came looking for fruit on it and did not find any. And he said to the uh, vineyard keeper, behold, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? And he answered and said to them, "Let let it alone, sir, for this too, until I dig around it and Put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, cut it down. Well, Happy New Year. (laughs) You may wonder why we would start that way. And the answer is simple. And it's this is the way that the Lord starts. You may have noticed we started in Exodus. It's near the beginning of this book. We've come to a place in the world very similar to what we read in the days of Noah, the days of Moses. Very corrupt, very wicked. Um, Almost everything we can get our hands on will turn into corruption. We'll turn it into something bad. Um, The church is struggling. We know that this shouldn't be odd. And the New Testament is written primarily to small churches that are getting started. And from the very beginning of the establishment of the church, the church has struggled. Why? Because it's filled with sinners. We see in the book of Revelation that at the very end, the the churches don't come together magically, unite and get good. They're going to get worse. Um, We know that. We know we've been warned over and over and over again to be careful of false teachers, to be careful of deception. Well, how do we know what false teaching and deception is? Well, we turn to God's word and we measure up God's word with what? The preacher says one of the great myths we see now is the the church marketing plan the church marketing plan which is attempting to be so kind and so gentle and so loving that it completely neglects what God says where God starts God literally from page one is attempting to scare the hell out of every single one of us. And what do we do? 
we try to whitewash that. We try to not include things like sin and judgment in our sermons. It's the wrong way. It's not the way God is. We, we read just a couple little passages that I hope sent chills down your spine. Those are warnings to me. Those are warnings to you. Those are warnings to us. God does not like sin. Our Father does not like sin. He hates it. Do you? Do we hate it? Do we have the same passions as, as the Lord? We, we want churches to grow. But we want them to grow the right way. You, you would think that we would take note of the great revivals in the history of the world. The greatest revivals. and What did they do? What was their blueprint? Maybe you've heard of a guy named Jonathan Edwards and his 70 resolutions. You're probably more familiar with his, his famous sermon. And this is a guy from the 1730s. In his sermon, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. That's how the greatest revival in the history, aside from Jesus and the disciples, that's how revival started with reminding people exactly where they're at. No sugarcoating. That we're literally sinners in the hands of, a, of an angry God. We're, we're like spiders, just a tiny little insect that could just be released at any moment into the fiery pit. Well, that's nice and cozy and cuddly, isn't it? Isn't that the message we hear all the time? The reason why we're not already dead is because of God's grace and mercy. But it's not because we don't deserve it. It's not because that we're, we're so special. Do not disregard God's warnings. Any, any good father, any good parent will, will warn his child to keep them from danger. Not, not only present, but even more particular, a parent is constantly thinking about the future, right? You, you start telling the four-year-old things about, well, because you know, you know, someday they're going to be 44 and married and kids. And you're already planning way down the line. Why? Because you, you, you care for them so much. You want to protect them and guard them. Any, any loving parent would do so. But we disregard warnings all the time. We have, we have tools, right? We have machinery that has like labels and warning signs on it. We have labeled items in our, in our closets, you know, poison warnings, right? Flammable. We see road signs all over the place that warn us, don't go too fast. Be careful. There's a sharp turn there. We see fences and things that, are, that are, are put there. Why? All of that is put there. All those rules, all those warnings to protect us. Well, this is here to protect us from fiery hell. That's important. Uh, we, we should have a, a great desire to want to not end up there. Um, does the Bible have anything to say about it? Oh, yeah. The Bible has a lot to say about that. And so we come to 2023. And as I'm trying to set my heart and meditate on, on, on Tony and, and where I need to be, this is where the Lord brought me back to kind of the basics, back to the, uh, a proper understanding, back to remind me to, to be alert, reminding me that it's, it's the Pharisees that, that Jesus came after the most, reminding me that in Revelations, it's, it's the teachers and the preachers that, that 
are laying deception, not all intentionally, I would say probably most unintentionally, which is even more scary. It's frightening, to be honest. And so as we move towards 2023, we want to understand that we are sinners in the hands, and not just of an angry God, but an angry Father. I think sometimes when we think God, we sterilize it. God, the triune Godhead, we've been thinking about this with the the birth of Jesus in the manger. The triune Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Son came for a mission and a purpose to die and pay the price for our sins. The Father is the Father. Dad. You don't mess with dad. Dad may wear different hats. I know as a father, you know, my, especially my sons had this wonderful blessing of me being dad in the house, being their coach on the baseball field. And then, you know, when we finally let them go to school and get out of homeschooling, then I was their superintendent in school. Can't get away from dad, right? Dad is everywhere. But dad was different in those roles as a coach as an educator, as a parent. The father in the role of the triune Godhead make no mistake. The father is, is, is just like what we would think of as a, as, a, as a father in the home. And so we're going to see these three things, th- three things that we want to be reminded of. First, sinners are hanging by a thread. Any sinners in the room? Sinners, we are hanging by a thread. Because of that, sinners are facing God's anger. Sinners are facing the Father's anger. And we'll get to that in a second. And then finally, we're going to look at sinners are resolved to obey. Sinners need to be resolved to obey. And so back to the, the sinners in the hands of an angry God or an angry father. A father is, is, is a child's number one fan. A father is, is, is a child's advocate. And the father so desires for that, that child to do better, to do better than them. That's always been one of the goals of the, the American way, right? Is the next generation does better than you and you do whatever you can to help that. If that means getting on a ship and going across the Atlantic and even dying, so be it. If that means getting in a wagon and going from you know, the east to the Midwest, then so be it. A father wants to, to help the, the son do better. And so when the child disobeys, when the child does not follow the rules, the rules that are set there to, to protect them and to bless them. Well, the first emotion is a broken heart. The first emotion is just like that of a, of a, of a glass ball that if you got that glass ball and you threw it down with all the force and it shattered into a thousand pieces, that's the father's heart. That's how, how parents' hearts are broken when their children do things. It starts there. That brokenness turns into just pain. It's painful to see people you love harm themselves. And then that, that pain and that hurt emotionally just turns to, to anger. It makes you angry to see them hurting themselves before. And it makes you even angrier to see them continuing to take those steps that continue to hurt themselves. We used to see this at at the mission all the time. It's just continuous step after step of making the situation worse. It's painful, it's hurtful, and then it makes you mad, makes you angry. It burns inside of you like a fire. Why didn't they listen? Why didn't they just obey? Well, that's how a a, a father thinks. 
And so a father's desire is to prevent that from happening by setting all those rules and all those lectures and all those laws and all those conversations. And then when it happens, as Hebrews 12, 6 says, well, then you know what? We're going to try to stop it from happening again. And so the Lord disciplines those that he loves. He will take you to the woodshed to help prevent you from doing it again. My words weren't enough. Let me give you a little incentive. Right? Let me, let me give you something that you might feel so that, so that what? To punish you? No, that's hell. Hell is the eternal damnation of judgment, punishment. Discipline is a, is a spanking for correction. And so our first reminder that we come to is that sinners are literally hanging by a thread. Well, well why? Let's start with Romans 8.1. Romans 8.1 and doing it in this order on purpose. Because for those who have confessed with their mouth and believed it with their heart that Jesus is God, well, then they are saved by grace. They are what we would call Christians. In Romans 8, 1 says, well, then there is no condemnation for those people, for those who are in Christ Jesus. So before we even take another step, there's no reason for you to be scared. There's no reason for you to be in fear if you are in Christ Jesus. Why? For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin. The law cannot be kept. The law is broken. When you break the law, you've sinned. You're guilty. The wages of sin is death. And so the law then produces death. But in Christ, we've been set free. And so there is no more condemnation to be afraid of. But if you haven't confessed with your mouth and believe in your heart and Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, well, then you go back to Romans 2.1. Therefore, you are without excuse. Every man of you who passes judgment, for in that you judge one another, you actually condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. Sound like anybody you know? Well, you are condemned for that if you're not in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ Jesus, praise God for his mercy. Verse 2, and we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. And do not suppose this, O man, that when you pass judgment upon those who practice such things and do the same thing yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. There is a day of wrath. There is a judgment of God for those who have not bowed the knee before the throne. Make no mistake about it. For those who have, though, there, there's great hope and promise. The riches of his kindness are amazing and abundant. See, the problem is sinners are, are hanging by this thread and they don't even know it. They haven't even thought about it. They don't even consider it. See, we're in a sense, we're, we're, we're on bond, right? I, I know most of you guys are good people. You don't know what bonds are and parole and things like that, you know. Uh, house arrest, you know, that kind of stuff. But see, see, we've been found guilty. The judge has, has issued our sentence. And we're, in essence, we're, we're, we're living on the bond. We're, 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 we're on this like, lifelong 
parole of, of house arrest. And we think that we're innocent when we're not. We're not innocents. We're, we're guilty. We're the guilty. Um, see, Adam and Eve made that mistake. They thought, and Satan tricked them into thinking, well, if you eat that fruit, you're not going to die right now. God's lying to you. There's no death. There's, there's no hell. And so they eat the fruit and, hey, I'm still here. That didn't produce in them a desire to not sin again. Our, our theology is bad. Our theology presses God and says, wow, God is merciful. He doesn't always punish me when I sin. Maybe I can do it again. Exactly what children do with parents. They push and they push and they push. What they don't realize is you're like this. And at any second you push and too far, too much. And the problem is we don't know what that line is. We think we're okay because we verbalize the commitment. We've forgotten that many are going to say, Lord, Lord. And he's going to say, depart from me, for I never knew you. Yeah, but, 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 but I preached every Sunday and I performed miracles. We're going to start with you, fool. And so we want to be sober-minded and remember, look, we're, we're all sinners hanging by a thread and be reminded that, look, justice calls for payment. Don't you ever forget that. We talk about justice. We watch our TVs or listen to the radio. And we want justice. We want justice for them, not for us. And you shouldn't want justice because in the game of justice, by obeying the law, we all lose. We get that, right? We all lose. Because we deserve hell. We've earned it. The sentence of our sin is death. The wages that we've earned, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Romans 1.32 goes on and says, you know what? We're worthy of it. And so when we provoke and poke the bear, it's, it's, it's the judge of the universe. It's, it's our heavenly father that we're sinning against. Yeah, we object to wrath. Turn with me back to Romans 9. Romans 9, 14. We, we, we don't like this idea. Well, there, we, we're going to have these internal debates. So there's, is there injustice with God? You know, is, God has to have mercy. God is a loving, kind God who forgives people for their sins. Jesus Christ came and died on the cross and was buried and rose again to forgive us. Yes, 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 yes. But don't presume upon God's justice. He does not owe you mercy. He does not owe you compassion. And so you might want to have a sense of gratitude knowing that you're the little spider just dangling. That, that is still who we are. We just happen to have the confidence and assurance of, of Christ. Understand that the pit is prepared. The, the fire is made. It's, it's already stoked. It's already at a, at a level of, of, of hotness that just one drop. And before you hit the fire, it's over. Matthew 3. Matthew 3. Now, <clears throat> we talked about the plan of the church and church growth. And we read a passages in the Old Testament that really laid out this is God and this is what happens when his people, the nation whom God loved Israel, they suffer consequences. Well, the New Testament, the New, it's all different then. The Old Testament's God the Father and he's old man God and he's rigid and law and, you know, you know he, was, he was young. He was a young God back then. That's, 
That's what they say in the secular and the liberal seminaries. That God was a young God and just he's just like rash in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's hippie Jesus. It's hippie love. Love, love, love. Forgive, 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 right? Okay, well, you know, we start with this guy, John the Baptist, you know, this great evangelist. Now, in those days, Matthew 3, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, again, remember, repent is, is somewhat of a combative word. If you're not sure, try it with your friends. Just people who aren't Christians, people at work, first thing out of your mouth tomorrow, say, hey, I have something I want to tell you. Repent. See how that goes over. They get it. Why don't we? They get it. Stop doing what you're doing. Change your life. Follow God. John the Baptist, out of the gate. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet, saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness, making ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and the food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem was going out to him, all Judea and all the district around Jordan. They were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. They confessed their sins. That's conversion. You need to change your life. I confess that that's not the right way to live. Not let's pretend like you're fine and perfect and I don't need to change anything. Come as you are, leave as you are. No, come as you are, confess your sins and repent. Verse seven. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, here's real seeker friendly stuff. You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Hey, we got people getting saved here. Who invited you guys? Therefore, bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. You need to come and repent. And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, Well, we have Abraham as our father. I'm a Jew. I have Abraham. I'm in. For I say to you that God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. Remember the great mystery that we've been studying in, in Ephesians, that there is no Gentile or Jew? Verse 10. John the Baptist, seeker-friendly preaching. And the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Every tree that for does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. But as for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will thoroughly clear the threshing floor and he will gather his wheat into the barn and he will burn up the chaff with quenchable fire. Jesus is coming with the winnowing fork like Psalm 1 separating the wheat from the chaff and the chaff doesn't just get set aside, it gets burned. How's that for a warning? We have to be reminded we're just sinners just dangling by a thread. If that wasn't bad enough, that the devil's there, 1 Peter 5, 8, just hunting us like a prowling lion. Or if you prefer, in Ephesians 6, lurking over with flaming missiles of arrows. We're under attack. We're sinners under attack. It's a double whammy. So as sinners, with justice screaming for satisfaction, the evil one advocating our guilt day and night, that's a frightening thought. Well, the second reminder is Sinners face God's anger. Turn with me to Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2. Maybe you've heard this before. Once upon a time, 
the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Baals. And they forsook the Lord, the God of their father, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods. Among the other gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed themselves down before them, thus they provoked the Lord to anger. So the Lord forsook, so they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashereth, and the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he gave them into the hands of plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies around them, so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Whoever they went, wherever they went, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil as the Lord had spoken and as the Lord had sworn to them, so they were severely distressed. Well, why do we present the gospel like it's some nursery story? This is tough love. Verse 16, so then the Lord raised up judges who delivered them from the hands of those who plundered them, and they did not listen to their judges, for they played the harlot and other gods and bowed themselves down. They turned aside quickly from the way in which their fathers had walked in obeying commandments of the Lord. They did not do as their fathers. And when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groanings because of those who oppressed and afflicted them. But it came about when the judge died, they would turn back and act more corruptly than their fathers in following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. And they did not abandon their practices or their unstubborn ways. They did not abandon their old practices, their old stubborn ways. They did not become new creatures in Christ. They were not born again. So the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. And he said, because this nation has transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers and has not listened to my voice, I also will no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them. We, we are in the face of God's wrath. This is Israel. God's chosen people. This is a picture. It's, it's a literal story and also a foreshadowing and a picture for us. As we stand in the presence of the Lord, we act like we're dancing around in some wild party that we just got off of all our sins, got free. And so we're going to dance around the throne naked. It's like, no, you, you're still in his hands, guys. You're still dangling by a thread. Don't, don't forget that. And he hates this. He hates sin. He hates when you go back to your old ways. He didn't save you so that you could be the same. He didn't save you so you could be worse. No. Isaiah 59 reminds us of his fury. Isaiah 66 says it comes with fire and flames. Ezekiel 8, 18 says it gets to the point where he will have no pity. They will cry in my ears and I will not hear them. You can whine and cry all you want. You, you can see people standing before the judge. They've committed their crimes and they're going to do the fake tear thing, right? No movement. I don't care about your tears is what Ezekiel says. We're in the face of God's anger. And if not for his restraint, if not for his kindness, then he would judge. Let's be reminded. God judges. We get that, right? 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 You know, it's not a mistake that so many, uh, you know, of, of, of the new way of the new church, they don't like the Old Testament. Oh, it's old. It's again, God's angry in there. Well, maybe it's a great way to remind us of, you know, these things like the flood. That when 
when mankind becomes exceedingly wicked that, that God can punish the entire earth if he wants to. Um, maybe it, people don't want to be reminded in Genesis 19 when a little town of, of Silicon Ravens, I mean of Sodom and Gomorrah, when, when it becomes too much that he can just lick that town with a fireball anytime he wants. Or in Exodus 32, he can send the priests to execute judgment with the sword. See, don't confuse God's mercy because we're all not struck dead right now. Don't confuse his mercy with lack of anger, with lack of passion. Parents, again, a father, a father is hurt. A father is broken. A father is angry with his child for the things that are happening. But just because the father doesn't kick him out or beat him to a pulp doesn't mean he's not angry about it. Make no mistake. The father's anger rages, but he's restrained. The same God who, who with his hands can just stop the ocean. Right here, stop far enough can restrain his anger to wrath. It's an incredible gift. As sinners, our, our actions produce a righteous anger in our Father. And God is under no obligation. God is under no obligation. He has mercy upon whom he has mercy. He has no obligation to keep anybody out of hell. The fact is, our sin enrages him. Well, the final reminder then is sinners need to resolve themselves. And I started as I was praying and preparing my own heart and thinking about my 2023 and, you know, I start with the idea of, okay, what are Jonathan Edwards and his 70 resolutions and how to be a godlier man and a better husband and pastor and all these things. And okay, what am I going to resolve in my life to, to do? And full circle got us back here to resolve myself to, re, to obey. Obey God. Obey God's word. Obey the scriptures. And again, we're probably familiar with that, you know, that, that poster, that poem, you know, footprints, you know, where things are so bad in your life and, and you feel like you're all alone and you're crying out to God and God's not there and where is he and well, how come he's not helping me and and then you know the the poem comes back and it's footprints in the sand you look back and you're 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 there's only one set of footprint that whole time you were praying you were alone where was God and then God reminds you those weren't your footprints those were mine I was carrying you through and that's a beautiful picture and we should be reminded as believers who are not condemned, but as sinners also, we need to be reminded that we are sinners in the hands of an angry God too. Both of those are true. Both of those are, are, are realities. And so, don't rely on your own human wisdom. Don't just randomly start tearing out all the passages and books where God's wrath and anger and fire and brimstone and, and just rip those out to where you're just left with a, a Bible full of the hippie Jesus pages. Um, we have to include the whole thing. And man is very, very good at having selective hearing. Right? We're like the kids. We're no different. This is, I think, why grandparents kind of dig their grandchildren because they can see the irony in it now. Now that it's, you know, they get, they get older. I'll, I'll get there soon enough. But, um, but man's delusional. Man's delusional. Ecclesians 2.16 says, you know, a wise man dies a fool. We're, we're literally just have fools 
are, have the ability to, to text and, and social media and YouTube and, you know, never before have we had such an array of fools and foolishness at our fingertips. It's crazy. And people are following and listening and idolizing and hero worshiping. You know, I heard of, uh, you know, and it's sad. It, it really is sad. Barbara Walters, most of us are familiar with, the, with her. And, you know, so here's this beautiful looking person who had this amazing career. Um, and she's dying. And she's, you know, her mind's going and, and she's going to die alone. Because, well, she couldn't keep any of her marriages together. Career was more important than, than you know, being entangled with, with the man forever. And so all the, 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 the wisdom of the world, the woman being on your own, having your own career, all of those things, good for her. She's going to die alone in her room with all her millions and all her fame. But see, as sinners, we've, we've allowed ourselves to think, well, that's the good life. We've also allowed ourselves to think, well, you know, this, this idea of being a sinner in, in, in the hands of an area, I don't know about that. That's, that just seems so harsh. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're believers now. And so what happens is we're, our ears like to be tickled, right? As the scripture says, so we like to hear the things that, that aren't as harsh or rough. And, and, and for those who are like, on, the, on the, the, the line and looking around going, you know, something's wrong with the world. I was telling Susan that there's a, a lot of more of these voices coming out now of, um, of people who aren't Christians and aren't believers, but they're starting to understand and get some things. Like maybe a, maybe a young woman shouldn't sleep around with as many people as she wants. Right? Maybe, maybe that's not such a great thing. And so and these are guys that are sitting there going, do you think I'm going to want you when you're 30? Oh, me and my friends will take advantage of you now. But then what? Well, it ends up going real bad. Well, spiritually, people are sitting there going, you know, all these things in the world aren't really panning out. And so they're trying to put together, well, who am I? And where did I come from? And where am I going? And is there God or isn't there God? And so people have real questions right now. And what the church is doing and the church is failing to do is to be honest with them and say, first of all, you need to repent. Things are not all right. And I'm not just talking about your neighbor and the, the guy in the White House. I'm talking about you. Let's just be honest here. Stop blaming your spouse. Stop blaming, you know, stop blaming her. Just look at yourself. Um, but see, there's attempts to not obey. Again, people get it. They know I don't want to go to that church. They're going to tell me to repent and stop doing the things that I want to do. So let's craft something different. Well, hell isn't real. How can hell not be real? Well, if everybody goes to heaven, then there's no hell. Ooh. So I don't even have to talk about hell. We'll just recraft this to where everybody goes. Or, well, I'm a good person. I'm going to find somebody in this room that I'm better than. Well, I'm better than most of them. I'm doing all right. I mean, that's how people think. Of course, they're not honest about their own difficulties or sin or issues. They're, and we're real easy to spot out everybody else's, right? Um, or we just do the scales of justice thing. Well, I don't know if I'm good or bad, but... If, it, if, if we put it on scales, I, I do more good stuff than I do bad. I win, you know. Um, or, look, I do stuff. I'm, I'm pretty good. I, I, I believe there's a God, some God, a, you know, and I, I, I give and I serve and I help people on the side of the freeway or whatever. Um, or, hmm, what if I could find a religion that believes this, 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 and this. I don't like all that stuff. That's, but what about this? Well, you can find one. There's plenty of churches over here that will serve your selfish desire to want church to be what you want it to be. 
Church isn't what we want it to be. Church is what God has given us. This is what God says. I don't like sin. Stop doing it. When I choose a nation and a country and I tell them and I give them every advantage of the world and, uh, and, and, and they disobey me, I'll wipe them off and start over again. And I'll do it again. And I'll do it again. And I'll do it again. Read Judges. Just one book in the Bible. God is not afraid to discipline, to punish. Why? So that we repent. The axe is ready. John the Baptist laid out the, the evangelistic pattern. Look, the axe is ready. I mean, you know, when you picture Jesus, do you, do you picture him, you know, in, in you know, Birkenstocks and, you know, laying sideways, you know, and sharing some, you know, hummus and whatnot? Or you picture him walking around with an axe, checking it out. What's going on over there? Huh? Is that, is that the Jesus you see? Because that's Jesus. That's the real Jesus. Now that guy, praise the Lord, is full of compassion, grace, and mercy. And by the way, at the end of the day, he's like, you know I died for you. So I would much rather you follow me than me chop you down. But if you're not going to obey, if you're going to pump the fist, well then let's play. Because I'm the judge, jury, and executioner. And so, church then, and, and, and it just breaks my heart because I keep seeing commercials and movies and, and all these things about, you know, the, the new church, the new Jesus. Um, you know, I saw this thing the other day. You need, to, you need to belong in the church before you believe. Wait a minute. So a non-believer who doesn't know Jesus, who hasn't repented and changed their life, they're supposed to walk through that door and instantaneously feel good because you are just like them? Does that sound right? Now, they should be welcomed. They should be encouraged to come and love, but they should instantly know, oh, those people are different. Last night, there were parties all over the place, right? Was the Christian party different than the secular one? It should be. If it's not, well, then what are you, what are you giving them? The Bible is, is very, very clear about obedience. The non-believer should never be comfortable with the clear understanding that he's banging over the pit. Nobody should be comfortable with that. Nobody should want that. Let's take that off the table and become very, very secure in our relationship with the Lord. I was there. I, that's been a long time since, since those days, right? The axe was ready to go. I'm bearing fruit these days, baby. I'm full of fruit. Um, remember, there's a continuous call to obedience. Galatians 5, walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. Romans 12 has 22 different lists of these are the things that you do as a believer. Colossians, put these things on, take these things on over and over and over again as, as former sinners, as slaves to sin and as current slaves to righteousness, but still, still sinners. We're called to constantly repent and obey. We need to resolve ourselves to constant repentance and obedience. Turn with me to Ephesians, back to Ephesians. We'll close here. It's a bit jarring sometimes to hear this. Ephesians 1. Yeah, we're studying Ephesians. You guys almost forgot, huh? Ephesians 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from our God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God and the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ 
just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to the adoption as sons through Christ Jesus to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise and the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved in him, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Resolve yourself to obedience because Christ has saved you. Because Christ has so richly lavished himself in his mercy. He doesn't have to. We're, we're sinners in the hands of an angry father who can easily have been flicked into the flame. God hates with a fiery passion of sin. But he called us to obedience. And so resolve ourselves now to obey Ephesians 2, and you were, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were scheduled for execution, for release. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly, you used to walk according to the course of this world. You used to be like the world according to the prince of the power of the air. You used to walk by the ways of Satan of all the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience among them to we all formerly lived all of us in the lusts of our flesh indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature we were born children of wrath even as the rest we're no different than anybody else so there should be no arrogance in us there should be no pride in us. Our, our, our message is, is in humility and, and utter awe of what Christ has done for us. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead. Romans 5 says that when we were sinful, helpless, ungodly enemies. Christ died for us, not when we were seeking him. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus in order that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you've been saved through faith and that not of yourself it is a gift of god not as results of works that no one should boast for we are his workmanship created in christ jesus for good works which god pre prepared beforehand that we should walk in them listen we were former sinners repenting sinners who need to resolve ourselves to be instruments of God. That's why he made us. That's why he didn't just save us just to save us. He had a plan. He had a purpose. And so be used, be his workmanship for his good works. So we go full circle. We have to start off with, just like any mechanic, your car's all messed up. You need tires, you need oil, you need brakes, right? And then what does he do? He fixes the problem so that you can drive away safely and happily. It's the same thing here. We have to understand the realization of who we actually are. It doesn't do us any good to pretend. It doesn't do us any good to tell people who are not Christians that they're okay. They're not okay. I love you. I have care for you. I want to spend an eternity in heaven with you. But you need to repent. 
the biggest repentance isn't the things that people are doing. It's the rejection of God himself. That's what they need to repent of. The other things will take care of themselves. But we begin by their worshiping the wrong God. And usually they're worshiping themselves. And they don't even know it. Let's pray.